0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 1. We are going to be beginning a journey through the book of Romans that could take us anywhere from three to five years, depending on how things go. And so it's an exciting journey, and I trust that we're looking forward to diving into this book and to understand what Paul has to say as he writes under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm going to read this morning verses one to seven, but our text really is going to be verse one, and really just the first word of of, of verse one. So we're going to get through Paul today, and I, and I I hope that as we lay some background material here this morning, that we will uh, again get a fresh understanding of of this book, and and. When it's being written and who it's being written to. And, and so we, as we lay that background, we, hopefully it will give us a better understanding as we go through the book. So let's take our Bibles then and begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul writes, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ." To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Join with me in prayer before we go to the word of God this morning. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. And we thank you for giving us the book of Romans And I pray that as we go through that you would again teach us from your word that we would be convinced of these truths and that we would be transformed by it for your glory. And so I pray that again we would not just have an intellectual exercise, but we would be transformed by your power, I pray in your name. Amen. So like I said, we are beginning a, a new study and we're beginning to go through a new book. And the book of Romans is really considered by many to be the the greatest book in arguably the greatest book in the New Testament. It is Paul's longest book. It is 7,000 words. His average is about 1,300 in his epistles that he's written. So it is a long book. It is a book that has been used through church history to change people's lives. Many people have been saved as they read the book of Romans. And in fact, it is a book that, is, that has been used even in secular writings in, in secular universities as they studied this book in the, some of the finest law schools to illustrate how to construct a tight logical argument that cannot be undermined. So it is a, it is a, a, a very much a treaty. It is a book maybe different than, in tone than many of the books that Paul wrote as it's almost a theological treaty rather than a personal letter. But it is a book that is rich with ideas around our, the gospel and around our salvation, and it talks about justification, and talks about sanctification, and it talks about subjects like the depravity of man, and how we are lost and hopeless. It talks about the sovereignty of God. It calls us to live out the gospel, And so it is a book that very much that when we understand it, it will transform us. If we take these truths and we put them in our lives, we will be transformed. So often the church has maybe even mastered the beginning part of this book where we've talked about The depravity of man and sin and and the need to be saved but how often have we actually understood our relationship to the lord jesus christ and lived out the great truths that come later on and so this book hopefully as we go through it will give us a better understanding of the gospel it will give us a better understanding of not just that it saves but that transforms your life And there's a change that goes through your life. And the gospel is for everyone. And so I hope that we will be excited to to hear about it this morning. So like any book, as we begin, we always have to start the book. We have to lay some of the background so that we can understand the book and we can put it in its context, historically, etc., And so there are some issues that we want to to look at, some introductory issues that will help us lay the groundwork as we go through this book. And some of these things are going to be rather simple, and some of them we might just say, why are you doing this? But we just want to make sure that we look at them. And so I've really broken this down into six abouts, six abouts. So first of all, I want to talk about the authorship. Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul claims to have written this book. And there are no serious challenges to that. There are no no serious scholars who will come and say the book of Romans was not written by Paul. It's got Paulian language. It's claimed to be written by Paul. There is no other, other explanations for the book and therefore... It basically goes unchallenged that Paul wrote the book. Now, we're, we, are, we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture at BBC, so all we had to do was look and say, Paul, and we know who wrote it, right? Because the Word of God is true and inerrant. We don't look for other authorships. We just simply look at the Word of God and we take it at face value. And if we had no other evidence at all or any, any other arguments against it, we would simply accept it because the Word of God says... Paul. So we leave it there. Now it's interesting and, and I, I did get this question and so what about Romans sixteen twenty two? It says I Tertius who write this letter greet you in the Lord. I thought Paul was writing it. Well, we remember just like we did in 1 Thessalonians. Paul took up the pen and wrote the very last thing in his handwriting. Paul was in the habit of dictating his letters. And so, Tertius is uh, uh, amanuensis. Oh, I don't know why. I practiced that at home and it's still not coming out. amanuensis. He was He was the person who would, like a secretary, who would record what Paul wrote. And so there's not a contradiction here. It's just that Paul dictated to someone to write it down. Maybe someone who had better handwriting, smaller handwriting. After all, they didn't have as much paper back then. They used either skins or uh, animal skins to write on. And so they were precious. And so they didn't want to use too much. And so Paul allows him to greet the Roman congregation in his own handwriting, but it is Paul who is authoring the book. So about the authorship, it's Paul. About who he wrote it to, again, he says in verse 7 this, To all the beloved who are of God in Rome called as saints. So in other words, Paul is writing this to the church in Rome. This is, this is where he, who he's writing to. He is writing to those precious saints that are there. Now, it's interesting because Rome was the capital city of the Roman Empire. It was founded in 753 B.C., uh, it is not mentioned in Scripture until New Testament times, but it does come into prominence as the headquarters of the Roman Empire. And so it's, it's, again, on the Tiber River, about 15 miles from the Mediterranean Sea. And so it is really that we would call the center of the Roman Empire. It's where the Caesar was. It's where the center of religion, the center of culture and what's interesting as Paul writes to this church is the fact that Paul did not found this church. In all of his letters, he's writing to churches that he founded, but here he's writing to a church that he did not found. And in fact, we would understand that this, we can probably ch- trace the beginning of this church back to Pentecost. It, probably there was those who were there at pentecost and they went back to rome and, and started the church here as the believers gathered there in fact we're told in romans 2:11 2:10 that there they were hearing people in their language and there was people from parts of libya belonging to serene and visitors from rome both jews and proselytes so there was jewish there was gentiles who had come to become Jews and faith in Jehovah. And there was also Jews that were there. And so maybe they were part of the 3,000 that were saved on that first day at Pentecost. And they returned to Rome to bring the good news. Now the church in Rome would have been primarily um, uh, Gentiles. The, the, the city itself was probably had a population of about a million. There's estimated there was about fifteen to 50,000 Jews there. But the church itself was made up of Jews and Gentiles, but mostly Gentiles. And it certainly began maybe more evenly, but in AD 49, the Roman emperor Claudius banished all the Jews from the city of Rome. And Acts 18.12, and for the next five years, only Gentiles were in Rome. There might have been the odd Jew who, who snuck in and stayed, but we're not told. But for five years, until they were in AD 54, when Claudius died, the Jews then were then allowed to come back. And so believing Jews and Gentiles were now in the church And maybe there's hints of some disunity and problems between these two groups addressed in this book because he talks about the Jews not being set aside and he talks about the Gentiles needing to recognize their place in God's history. And so there does seem like there was some tensions in this book between the Jews and Gentiles in this book. And so Paul is writing to this church then, this church that has not been established by any of the apostles, a church that's probably at this, at this time about 20 years of age. So it's been around for a long time. And as he addresses them, he doesn't really address too many issues as much as he gives them a theological treaty. So Paul is writing to this church. And then we want to ask the question about when and where he wrote the book of, Rome, uh, book of Romans. Where did he write it? Well, if we put a timeline of Paul's life together, we're going to see that he pro- wrote the book of Romans during a three-month stay in Greece at the end of his third missionary journey. If you turn to Acts chapter 20... You will see that Paul, uh, after having caused a ruckus in Ephesus where he, he, he got too many people, too many people were saved, the silversmith was upset, he gets run out of town. He, le- he, he then leaves the disciples. After exhorting them, he takes leave. He's, he goes to Macedonia, and when he's gone through Macedonia, he ends up and he comes to Greece. And notice in verse 3, he says there he spent three months. So he was three months in Greece. Three months is the time during which he wrote the book of Romans. And it was a time where he was in Corinth, which is the capital of Greece. And so it's likely that, that he wrote the letter from there because he had ties with the church at Corinth. Now, don't take my word for it. I think there are some hints in the book of Romans that tell us why we know that Paul was actually in Corinth. If we turn In Romans chapter 16, Paul is giving his final greetings to the Romans, and he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Synchria. You are to receive her in the Lord so she... You are to receive her in the Lord. So she is probably bringing the book of Romans to the Romans. Now notice this. He says she's from Sincrea. Where is that? Well, Sincrea is one of Corinth's seaport cities apart from the larger metroplex of Corinth. In other words, it's like being in the greater GTA of Toronto, right? When you go to Alberta and you talk about Oshawa, you're thinking that's Toronto, right? When you look on the map, it's all together. And so he's saying, she is actually then from Corinth. And so Paul is saying, listen, I'm sending Phoebe to you. And Phoebe's from where? Corinth. And so the idea is that Paul is in Corinth. Also, we notice from the life of Gaius, chapter 16, verse 23, if we just go down a few verses... He says, Gaius, host to me and the whole church. So Paul says, I'm at Gaius' house. He is, the church is meeting at his house. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 1.14, we meet Gaius again. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christus and what? Gaius. And so again, Gaius is now associated with Corinth. And so we're starting to get the idea that Paul was in Corinth. And then back to Romans 16.23. Erastus, the city treasurer, what? Greets you. And again, Paul is sending greetings from Rome. And we learn in 2 Corinthians 4.20 that Erastus remained at Corinth. So again, all the clues point to the fact that Paul is where? Writing the book of Romans from Corinth from Corinth. And so we we understand this. Paul is writing the book of Romans during his the end of his third missionary journey from Corinth. It is probably around 56 or 57 A.D. in the early late winter or early spring. And so this is when Paul is writing this letter to the Romans. The next thing we want to look at is just simply this. What about the theme of the book? What is the theme of Romans? What is Paul trying to get across? Now many, many have suggested that the theme of Romans is the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God. And though that's clearly the theme in the first five chapters of this book, it doesn't seem to tie to the rest of the book. So I think we need to have a theme that includes the whole book and steps back a little ways. And so I would understand that the theme of the book of Romans is the gospel, the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, Paul introduces the letter, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, what? Called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So part of his credentials, I'm set apart for the gospel. And then verses 2 through 4, he talks about the gospel And then in verse 9 he says for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as how unceasingly I make mention of you. So again he says I'm about the gospel I preach the gospel. And then when we get down to the theme of the book in verses 16 and 17 and you might want to circle those those verses and of course you're going to memorize them because we're all memorizing the book of Romans right. But you can put a star beside these verses so that you remember the theme of the book where he says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as how unceasingly I, I make mention of you. And then he says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For the... For in the gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And so Paul says, I'm here about the gospel, I'm here to preach the gospel, I'm here to give the gospel. And then, as Paul continues through this book, when he gets to Romans 16 again, he concludes his letter and he comes back to the theme where he began. And he says, I'm set apart for what? The gospel of God. That's what I do. I preach the gospel. I give the gospel. I send forth the gospel. And then verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you what? According to my gospel. And so that is the central theme of this. Paul comes to give the gospel, to preach the gospel, to inform of the gospel. And therefore, Romans is Paul's summary of the gospel he preaches. And so Paul then will go through that gospel and he starts with this introduction He'll then explain the gospel. He'll talk about the gospel experienced. He'll talk about the gospel defended, the gospel applied, and conclusion. I don't expect you to write any of that down. But he's going to go through that as he goes through this book. It is Paul. The theme is the gospel of God. So we might still say, well, he wants, he's giving the gospel, but why did Paul write this book? What, 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 what was the occasion that made him write this book? And if you look through books, you'll find multiple reasons why people believe that Paul wrote this book. But I think there are three that we would understand to be right and true. The first reason is simply this. Paul wanted Rome to become the base of his operations for his new ministry. Now we have to remember that Paul here is is far in his ministry. He's 25 years in. He was converted early in the early 30 ADs. He has been a follower of Christ for many years. His entire ministry has basically been Asian minor the area what we would call Turkey, Macedonia, and Greece, Uh, Eastern Europe, we would say. And Paul, at this point, felt that he exhausted the potential to reach new people. Now, remember that Paul said in Romans 15, 20, and thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ is already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. He says, "I, I want to preach the gospel where no one's gone before. He was and so he says, I, want to, I don't want to go and, and, and preach where it's already been. I want to go where it hasn't been heard at all. And then he says in verse 23, But now, with no further place for me in these regions... In other words, I've covered the whole area. I've taught in this whole area. I've done as much as I can here. Now I want to move on. In fact, he says... Whether I go to Spain, he speaks of it, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. And so Paul wants to use really Rome as his home church, as his sending church to go on missionary work in Spain. And he wants to go to a new place. And so he now then gives them the book of Romans. And he gives them that book so that they might know what he preached, so that as they send him out, they would understand what he taught. And so he wants them to embrace his ministry. Secondly, Paul wrote, and he says this right off the tops to minister to the Roman saints. He says, first I long, he said, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. In other words, Paul wrote this book in and part, in part of it so that he could come and visit and they could go through these truths and he could establish them. Uh, and again, he wanted to come to them and he wanted to impart some spiritual gift to you. And again, he's not speaking of spiritual gifts and he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about a spiritual blessing here and he wants to build them up. He had spiritual concerns for them, and he wanted to establish them in 1625 according to the gospel. And so Paul came and wrote this to minister to this church. And the third reason Paul wrote this was simply this. He wanted to bring glory to God through the preaching of the gospel, and that's what Paul lived for. Paul says, I have this grace and apostleship that is given to me to bring about obedience of faith among the Gentiles. And he says in verse 5, I do this for what? His namesake. In other words, Paul wanted to preach the gospel for the glory of God, for his namesake, for his fame. And he says, again, back to chapter 16, Now to him is able to establish you according to my gospel, known to what? All the nations. Or, Or he says, has been made to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. In other words, I want the gospel to go to all nations. I want God's glory to be seen by all nations around the world. He wanted that obedience of faith. He says in verse 25, the only wise God through Jesus Christ what, might receive glory forever. And so Paul says, this is why I write this book. I want the gospel to go to you so that you might bring ultimately receive the gospel and that God might be glorified through him. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. As one writer says, This is why we, you and I should share the gospel with our families and friends, not simply exclusively so that we will miss, they will miss hell and make heaven, but because God, Creator, deserves their praise. He deserves their glory. They were made for that, and that's why we should be sharing the gospel so that all peoples, even our families and friends and neighbors and coworkers and fellow students might bring glory to God who made them and who sustained them. That's what the gospel of God is all about. That's what the gospel is about. It's about the glory of God. Well, that leads us now to as as we go to Romans chapter one, verse one. <laughs> Paul about about the author. Now again, we've said that this is one of... is reads more like a treaty than a book, and Paul is writing this book to this city that he's never established. And, and again, he's establishing his credentials, he's establishing his rapport with them so that they will send him out. He's never visited them, and so it's necessary for him to to lay this out for them. They've heard much about Paul, but they've never heard from Paul. And so Paul will now lay out his heart to them. Now it's interesting because we've talked about this. Paul begins his book like he, he does all of his books, really like a first century letter. And so like all first century letters, we've talked about the AAA beginnings, if we remember, right? The, the author, the audience, and the address. And so Paul will do that here and so he begins, he begins the letter, and you will remember that they wrote on scrolls. And so you can understand that as they had scrolls, the first thing that you would do as you opened up the scroll is you would open it up, and the first thing you would see is who was writing the letter. That's how they did it. We, we sign ours at the end. They, they began at the beginning. And we know the most important thing about a letter is who writes the letter. Who is the one giving the letter? And you know that because when you get letters in your mailbox, you scan the return address, don't you? And you have that file 13 for all the junk mail and then you have the bills that you quickly put to the back and then you get, if you have a personal letter, like that's the one that you rip open and you want to see. And so this is really what's taking place here. That Paul is putting his Name right up front. Why should you read the book of Romans? And really through this first verse, he's going to tell us because Paul wrote it. Because Paul wrote it. And so the the important thing is who wrote this book? And so Paul now will lay out in this introduction why we should read this. And really as he goes through here, He's going to explain who he is. He's going to defend his credentials. He's going to give us the gospel as he lays it out. So he simply begins this letter by giving us his identity, Paul. So who is Paul? Why should we be excited? Now remember, the the Roman church had probably heard about Paul. They had many stories about Paul. And probably when they read that word, they would have right away have been understood the authority and understood who was writing it, and maybe been even been excited because this is from Paul. But for us, maybe we need to take a look at to see exactly who Paul is. Well, Paul, we don't really hear much about Paul's childhood. But we can glean certain things from Paul because he gives kind of gives an a, a, a autobiography of who he is. The first thing that we know is that Paul was born in, in Tarsus. He, spe- he spent his early years there. He was probably a few year, years younger than our Lord. He was born around B.C. 2 or 3. We think the scholars got it wrong when when zero is considered Christ's birth. He was probably born closer to 5 BC. And so although Paul was clearly Jewish, he was also a Roman citizen, meaning that his father must have been a Roman citizen. And in that time, a Roman citizen, you had 30 days to go down and to record and get a certificate and witnessing the fact that you were a Roman citizen so Paul was, was born in Tarsus. Uh, he was about the same age of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he certainly, it would seem like, was born in a wealthy family. So he, I think his family was well off. If we look, he was, he was father was a citizen of Tarsus, and the annual poll tax, we know this from secular writing, was equal to 18 months for a typical working class man. So, I mean, 18 months, that's a year and a half wages that you would have had to have paid for taxes in Tarsus. So you needed to have some wealth to be able to live there. And then we also know that Paul, whose family lived really in modern-day Turkey, also had enough influence to get Paul into, into a good school in Jerusalem. And so he, they had enough, tug, enough wealth for that to take place. So his family was probably a wealthy, influential Jewish home. Now, Paul was given a Hebrew name by his parents. He was born being a Jew. He was called Saul. Now, Saul simply means uh, the word Saul. Undoubtedly, he was probably, being a Benjamite, he was probably named after King Saul, the most famous of all the Benjamites. He was also given the name Paul, which means small. It may have been given to him because he was short. Or it could have just been a family name. And maybe they gave it to him because it sounded a lot like his Hebrew name, Saul. And really, until his conversion, Paul is known as Saul. And after his conversion, he is only known as Paul. Maybe fitting for a man who would now be the apostle to the Gentiles now Paul tells us in Acts chapter 22 a little bit about his upbringing Paul has in in the context here has brought a gift to the Jewish church he is bringing uh, the offering to them and while he's in Jerusalem he goes to the temple, and because he was seen with Gentiles, they assume that he's brought Gentiles into the Hebrew court of the temple. And so there's an uproar, and they, they, they're they, the, in a Jewish quarter, and then their riot breaks out. And so the commander seizes Paul to save his life and takes him out of here. And then he, Paul is allowed to address that crowd in Acts chapter 22, and Paul says to them in Aramaic, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Jewish Aramaic dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicily. So his hometown then was Tarsus, a huge ancient city, maybe only second to Athens and Alexandria and Greek culture. Now, it might seem strange that a Jewish family is in Tarsus. How Paul's family has gotten there, we're not exactly sure. Tradition says that during the Roman conquest of 63 and 63 BC, that many Jews were scattered and maybe Paul's grandfather actually moved the family to Tarsus to escape the Roman fighting. And so more than likely, Paul's family has lived in Tarsus for several generations. Now, many of the Jews that were scattered were, were Hellenized. They were, they were taking on Greek culture. That was definitely the goal of the, of the empire, was to make Greek culture and language and all things Greek, to make the whole world like that. But we know that Paul's family was uninfluenced by this. Um, and they refused to compromise. And in fact, we, we read today in S- Second Corinthians that Paul says something about being Hebrews. A Hebrews. And again, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul, as he is giving his testimony, describes himself, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And then he says what? Hebrew of Hebrews. And that phrase is kind of like a technical phrase which says, I was raised as a Jew with Jewish language and Jewish culture in my home. In other words, we didn't give in to be and start living like Greeks. We lived like Jews in a Gentile environment. We kept our Hebrew language and our Hebrew culture. Maybe a lot of the reason was because was Paul was taught in the scriptures from an early time. Jewish boys were required to begin study at the age of five in the local synagogue. We're waiting too late, people. They started to memorize scripture, not at 55, but at five, right? And they began to learn large portions of the Pentateuch, memorizing the books of Moses. By the time he was 10, he would begin to study and the the teaching of the rabbis, the oral traditions were communicated. And so probably in his early years in Tarsus, he began to learn even the skills of a tent maker as he was in that city. And so that would have been Paul's life, mixed in the synagogue on the Sabbath, memorizing, studying the traditions, studying at home. And learning a skill. Well for all Jewish boys at 13 there was a major transition. That's where the bar mitzvah comes in. And where it literally means the son of the commandment. And so Jewish boys became of age. And they were treated as a man. They were now responsible before the law for themselves. And at that point typically the brightest students. Those who were standing out in their studies were sent on to higher education. They were directed to the rabbinical schools and the best teachers to continue to learn the law and the prophets. That was maybe what we would call the Jewish seminary schools, where they would start start to go and to learn deeper. Now, if we look at Acts 23.3, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in what? this city. So Paul now is standing at the Temple Mount and he says, actually I was raised here in Jerusalem. And so it appears that Paul's parents sent Paul to Jerusalem. And if to, to live in Jerusalem. Now according to Acts 23.16, it it's very likely that Paul stayed at his married sister's home in Jerusalem. We remember that her son, Paul's nephew, is the one who tells Paul about the ambush and saves his life in Acts. And so it appears that Paul had a married sister living in Jerusalem and he probably was sent there by his parents to live. Now, why did his parents want to send him to, to be educated? I mean, there were universities in Tarsus. Why would he want to go there? Well, I think his parents had some intentions for him, and I think they had a reason for them. In Acts 23.6, as Paul is, is before the Sanhedrin, notice what he says of his heritage here. He began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of what? Pharisees. Not a son of a Pharisee. A son of what? Pharisees. And so there's a plural there. And it would seem that Paul is coming from a line of Pharisees. Not just his father, but probably his grandfather before him. And it's likely that his parents sent him there because they wanted him to be trained as a what? A Pharisee. After all, he's following in grandpa's step, he's following in Dad's steps, and so they were sending him there. And so they sent him to Jerusalem. Why would that be important? Well, according to Acts twenty two, three, he says, I was brought up in this city, educated out of Under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you are today. In other words, Paul studied under Jerusalem under the preeminent rabbi of his time. Paul was going to to the best school. This was the Yale. This was the Harvard of rabbi schools. He was going to the greatest teacher of his time. Even his contemporaries called him the beauty of the law. He was a committed Pharisee. He was a brilliant teacher of the first century. And Paul was his student. And so Paul was sent there to get an education, an intense, demanding education. Remember the rigorous training in the the content and the meaning of the Old Testament. He studied the old traditions they weren't even codified at this point. Eventually they were codified in the Talmud and the Mishnah, but they weren't even written down, and so you had to memorize these. You didn't have a textbook to take home. In addition to all of that study, we know that Paul learned at least three languages. He was speaking probably in in the language that was his natural tongue, Aramaic. That was probably his first tongue. It was spoken in his home in the primary language in, in Palestine. It's the, it's, a, it's the language that he addressed them in in Acts 22 that we just read. In addition to Aramaic, he knew Greek. He's, he's written his letters in, in Class A Greek. In addition to that, he could read the Hebrew Scriptures. So Paul was, was a brilliant mind. He was, he was no dummy at all. And in fact, it says, Paul says in Galatians 1.14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more zealous for my ancestral traditions. And so Paul says, this is who I am. I, I, was, I was actually one of, the, I was one of the best students. I was going beyond my, my peers in understanding the law and the rabbi's traditions. Well, the next when we really see Paul come onto the pages of Scripture, we we, we, we really see him coming on at the age probably of around 30, in his mid-30s. And when we see him, Paul is coming onto the pages of Scriptures, not as a good guy, but as a bad guy. He's a villain here. He's a persecutor of the church. He says in Acts 22, 4, I persecuted this way. And again, Christi- speaking of Christianity, Jesus says, I am the way, what, the truth, and the life. And he says, Christianity became known as the way. And he says, I persecuted the way to the death, binding and putting both women, men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. For from them I received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Paul was zealous. He wasn't just cleaning up Jerusalem. He was cleaning up all of Palestine. He was going after believers. Really, the first time we meet Paul is just shortly after Christ's resurrection, maybe a year or two when he's dealing with Stephen. And we see that he is there at at Stephen's stoning in fact he is the one who is standing there and they are putting the robes at the feet of the young man named Saul it's possible that Paul might even be part of the Sanhedrin because he says I actually gave permission I voted for his death and Paul was clearly set his sights against the sect he called the way these christians And it says in Acts 8.1, And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered. Saul began ravishing the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he put them in prison. Paul was serious about this. He saw the dangers of it. He saw how Stephen handled all those who opposed him, and they could not handle his wisdom. But Paul also was angered and offended by the stumbling block in 1 Corinthians 1. What, a crucified Messiah, how can you say our Messiah had been crucified? And that made Paul's blood boil. How could he hang on a tree? Deuteronomy says that anyone who hung on a tree was a curse of God, and for Paul that was unthinkable. And it drove his hatred of the church. And so Paul says in Galatians, I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. These ideas must be put to rest as to zeal a persecutor of the church. Before Paul, King Agrippa, in Acts chapter 26, verse 9, he says, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I what? I cast my vote against them. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He says in verse 11, and as I punished them often in the synagogues, Now we read that and we go over that pretty quick. What does he mean by he punished them in the synagogues? It's describing the typical synagogue punishment of 39 stripes. Paul received that many times in the synagogue. And Paul says, this is what I did. I, gave, I, I made sure that the Christians were taken out and given 39 stripes. They were beaten with a rod. Paul was serious. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I, I wanted them to deny that the Jesus Christ was the Messiah. I wanted them to deny that he was the one to come. And he says, being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them to foreign cities. Paul wanted to stomp out the gospel. He wanted to stomp out the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted nothing to do with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. But all of that changed. All of that changed on the road to Damascus. The New Testament really provides three accounts of Paul's conversions. conversion, one in Acts chapter 9, the second in Acts 22, and the third in Acts 26. But Paul Paul was on the road to persecute believers. Paul was not looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul hated the the Lord Jesus Christ. But upon his conversion, how his view of Christ changed. He went from one who hated them, who must stamp them out, who would pursue them to the ends of the earth. And then in Galatians 123, after his conversion, it says that this is what the churches in Judea were hearing about Paul from others. Paul is now preaching the faith he wants what? tried to destroy. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as what? Lord. Paul's view of Christ is completely transformed. God has come into his life and changed him and saved him. This is a remarkable change. This is who Paul became. Paul no longer was a hater of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see the sovereignty of God in salvation. Here is Paul going on the road to Damascus. And he is going against Christ. He's not looking for Christ. But what? Christ is looking for Paul. Paul Christ finds Paul and strikes him down and saves him and opens his eyes to the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this, if, Paul, if God can save Paul, he can save anyone. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned, it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Look at Paul, who persecuted what? The church. And Jesus said to him, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute who? Me. You persecute the church, you are offending the head of the church. So tied together is the church and the Lord Jesus Christ that when you persecute the church, you are persecuting the Lord Jesus Christ. And one thing I also I want us to see is the transforming power of the gospel. Look how it transformed Paul. He heard that gospel before, but when it took root, Paul was completely changed, completely different man. And so as we come to this book here today, and as we come to read the book of Romans, we should be excited because it is this man who was transformed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who has written this book. It is a man whose life demonstrates the change that, is, that comes with conversion and the power of the gospel. And Paul says, Here's why you should read this book, because I'm writing it. The once persecutor of the church, and now the transformed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who now proclaims him as the Messiah, Jewish Messiah, who proclaims him as the one to come, and who proclaims him as Lord God himself. And so Paul says, Read this book. Because recognize who I am. Look, at, look who is bringing you this book. And so as we begin this book, let us be excited because Paul is now going to write about the very gospel that transformed his life. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the book of Romans. And we thank you for for giving it to us, and we thank you for its content. And so I pray this morning that we would be excited to, to go into your word and to learn more about the gospel and be reminded of those truths and reminded of its impact. And we praise and thank you even today for the impact in Paul's life a man who was a persecutor of the church and now a man whose story is told thousands of years later as you saved him and transformed him. And so I pray that we would again be anxious to apply the truths of this book to our heart, I pray in your name, amen.